So as we discussed last week, chapter 4 in Mark's gospel represented a fairly drastic turning point in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. This wasn't a reaction to the crowds or to the response or to the resistance that he was receiving. This was God's plan all along. Because he had called 12 men. He had set 12 men aside. He had set them apart as apostles. And within just over a year from this point, he was going to ascend to the Father and entrust this work to them. That just as he had, they were going to go out and preach the gospel. That the kingdom of God had come and it was time to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And they were going to perform miracles and wonders and signs. And so from this point forward, Jesus' public teaching was going to be carried out in parables. He was going to take common, everyday scenes, lay them next to deeper spiritual truths so that they may be illuminated. So that those that had sat at his feet, those that had called him master, those that, those that had truly followed after him, so that those folks would be able to better comprehend and have a deeper understanding of what the kingdom of God was like. And yet for those that were on the outside, those that had resisted this gospel, those that refused to follow after and believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, those that found him to either be crazy or just bad, that for those people they would be further hardened. They would just find themselves more confounded about these teachings that Jesus was presented. So we turn this morning to one of the most well-known of, of Jesus' parables, one that many of you, I'm sure, are quite familiar. So go ahead and stand to your feet as we read together Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and, soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these that are the ones along the path, where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceit, deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Father God, would you truly give us ears that hear, eyes that see, hearts that love, spirits of discernment. Help us to truly comprehend and embrace and live in light of your precious word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is seated on the boat that his disciples had secured for him. You'll recall that the crowds had grown to just fantastic numbers and they were pressing in around him knowing that with just a word or even a touch they could be healed and so lest they crush him he had told his disciples to have a boat ready for him and so then there on that day he gets into this boat and he pushes out into the sea and he begins listen listen this command might this this command from jesus he might might draw your draw your heart draw your mind to the greatest commandment it's the foundation of all of God's commandments, really, the call to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The, the call to listen. You, you may say that, that the call to listen is the prelude to all the rest of the commandments, because you see, it doesn't matter what Jesus says after that. It doesn't matter what words the Father speaks after that if you're not listening, if you don't have a heart that hears, a mind to listen. Or perhaps you pick and choose which words you're going to listen to. They're of no use to you. So we do well to listen. When the master teacher tells us to listen, our ears should perk up. And he says, a sower went out to sow. This is a picture that would have been very familiar to everyone sitting there in first century Palestine. The picture of a sower. A person that goes out, and, and it could have been anyone. could have been a young boy. But a person that goes out and they sow seed. You see, today the way we do this is we would have prepared the soil in advance. We would have plowed. We would have tilled. We would have made sure that the soil was ready to receive the seed. Back then they tell us that wasn't the case. That you would have gone out and sowed and then the plowing, then the tilling, then the working of the ground. So that the, that the sower would have been, he would have gone out and he would have had a satchel or a, or a sack or a, or a something hanging around his body with just bunches of seed. The seed of the fruit that he hoped to produce. And that as he went along, he just sowed it, just casting it like this. Those of you that fertilize your yards, you probably use a broadcast uh, spreader of some sort, either a walk behind or one of those little crank ones. And as you go, the little plastic thing underneath, underneath spins, and it just spreads the seed so that you walk up a path and down a path, trying to get even distribution all throughout your yard so you don't burn it up in one spot and leave the others with no fertil uh, fertilizer. This would have been just a purely manual process of that. Somebody that had done this for a while, they would have been pretty good at knowing how many paces do I take between handfuls and how do I spread this out and where do I make my turn and come back. Again, this would have been a scene that these people were very, very familiar with. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and they devoured it. You remember back when we discussed the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees regarding his disciples as they passed through a field and they were grabbing these hands of grain and they were rubbing it between their hands and they would have been just popping it in their mouth for a snack. You remember that we talked about the fact that it was very common in that day and age for people to pass through other people's fields to get where they were going. Here's the deal. When you walk where you're going, you take the direct path. And sometimes that path leads through somebody else's field. It was common in that day. It was perfectly acceptable in that day to either pass through between the rows of the produce or maybe, maybe around the outside. But with much foot traffic in that part of the world, dry, 
hot sun beating down upon this dirt, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, this ground would become very dry and compact, almost like concrete. There was nothing that was going to penetrate this soil. And so for those people, as the, as the seed hit, it would just sat on top. And the birds would have been coming right behind the sower, just ready to snatch it up. It's a battle as old as time, right? The farmer versus the birds. That's why man invented scarecrows. Because they know that the birds are there and they're ready. It's an easy meal for them to just walk behind the sower and then to snatch all these things up. And you can imagine, as Jesus is telling this, the men and, and, and families that are sitting there on the seashore just, yep. Yep, I know those birds, they're a pain in the butt. I know exactly what you're talking about, Jesus. Then he goes on. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Any of you that have ever been to Israel, you know that there are lots of rocks there, lots of rocks and lots of different kinds of rocks. And perhaps some of the most impressive rocks there, really some of the most impressive scenes you will see is when you go down into caves or even there at the Temple Mount and you see bedrock rock-solid, immovable rock upon which these things stand. I mean, it is not going anywhere. But over the years, dirt and soil and even some grass may have grown up on top, and it would appear to your eyes like it was good soil, like it was something that was ready for the seed. But you dig down even just a few inches, you're not going anywhere. You're going to break your wrist. It's going to take dynamite to blow this stuff up and to, and to really loosen it up. And so it's saying here that for the sower, some of the seed would have fallen there, but there is dirt there. And so it would have been planted for a moment. And you probably remember from school the way that seeds work. That within a seed, what God has planted, he's planted the embryo of the seed and then the food that that seed needs. Until the sprout can come up and begin to capture sunlight and photosynthesis and all that kicks in. So that what happens is, is a seed is implanted in the ground. It's going to, it needs oxygen, it needs uh, moisture, and it needs warmth in order to, to start this process this germination process. And so what would happen is as the seed goes into the dirt, it would soak up whatever moisture it could get its hands on, and it would begin to plump up. And the outside shell, it would begin to soften. Then eventually it would, it would burst open. And you would see as the, as the embryo inside begins to respirate, and then the, seed, uh, the, the roots begin to form. And it begins to go out and look for further, further moisture wherever it can find it. And then once that root system is established, then the sprout comes, and it heads up towards the sunlight. It starts heading upward. Well, in the case of this rocky soil, because the seeds can't, because the roots can't go deep enough, because they either hit that bedrock or other rocks there within the soil, it immediately sends the signal, you need to head north. I'm done establishing my roots. It's time for you to head north, head towards sunlight. And it would have done this, and to an inexperienced farmer, this would have seemed like just a fantastic success. Look at this. Immediately, we have something that's springing up here. But you see, without the deep roots, it has no chance of gathering all the moisture that it needs. And eventually, when that sun beats down, it's going to burn up, and it's going to blow away. Now, this may have produced something that was worth looking at for a while. It maybe would have given you something to go and come and show your friends. Look what a fantastic farmer I am. Look at all the produce that I've, that I've created here. And yet, it says here that when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Whatever popped up out of the soil on this day, it was fool's gold. It was never going to last. And in the end, this seed was no better than the seed that got eaten up by the birds. There was nothing that would last. There was nothing that would be produced. There was no fruit here. It may as well have been captured up by the birds. Verse 7 says, Other seed fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked it out, and it yielded no grain. While the rocky soil, while it burned up in the sun because, because it didn't have deep enough roots, this, this seed, it may have formed a deep root bed. It may have established itself there, and it may have taken its time in growing up at the appropriate pace, and yet 
There were too many other plants there, thorny, um, thorny weeds and things that choked out, that used up the nutrients that were needed in order for this thing to produce anything, in order for this plant to actually be of value. And you know, because weeds take no effort at all to grow. They're just native. They're just there. You have to cultivate weeds. You don't have to plant weeds. You don't have to protect your weeds. Nobody ever built a fence to keep the foxes from coming and stealing their weeds. Weeds just come. They just show up. They just appear. They grow, and they grow fast, and they're sneaky. You'll notice that sometimes weeds, they'll grow little flowers. Like, hey, I'm cool. I belong here. Just little flowers. Or they'll wind themselves up with the plants that are there. I was walking, I was walking past my flower beds the other day, and I looked over at one of my rose bushes, and there's a little something sticking up. And I think, oh, man, I got a weed. I need to go pick it. And they go to pull on it. I realized that that joker is wound in all between. That weed said, you may get me out, but it's going to hurt your hands. And so as I, I did it, I don't lose a fight. So that as I unwound this thing and I dug through my hands, you can see them this morning, my hands torn up as a result because it was determined it was going to stay there. It was going to blend in with the rest. So at this point, the people that are sitting there on the shore and they're hearing that this is a grim story. This man has completely wasted his effort. All of the seed has just gone to waste. He's thrown it out. It's either been eaten by birds or it's fallen on rocky soil where it just burned up by the sun, or the thorns had choked it out. And again, these men, they would have been familiar with these stories. I can imagine a few of them. Amen. Farming ain't easy. Jesus is presenting them with a, story, with a story that they would have been very familiar with. Even today, look, most of you don't grow your own food. You garden for fun. And yet still, it doesn't take a big, great stretch of your imagination to put yourself in the place of this sower to relate to the picture that he's saying here. But it's at this point that the story takes a dramatic turn. Verse 8. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Look, those numbers mean nothing to us, right? I mean, we know that it means it produced 30 times what was sown, 60 times what is sown, 100 times what is sown. And obviously we know that that's better than having the birds eat it or the sun burn it up or the thorns choke it out. But really, those numbers, are those good or those great? What are those? But this would have really caught the attention of the hearers in the first century. People a whole lot smarter than me, they tell me that a really good harvest would have been something like tenfold. The idea of a hundredfold return on something, it would have been truly remarkable. It would have made the farmer fantastically rich. In fact, we read about one such, one such incident. We read about it in Genesis 26. Abram's son Isaac says this, that he had settled in a place called Gerar. Genesis 26, 12 through 13, and Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. The production of a hundredfold is something only God could do, and when he did it, it was an incredible blessing on this man. What a difference the soil can make. Same seed, same sower, same climate, same circumstances, and yet some comes up with no fruit at all burns up as if it was never there, and some produces the kind of yield that only God could bring. It's all about the soil. Verse 9, and he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Again, the parable began with the words to listen, but now he's saying it's more than just hearing. Everybody was going to hear his words. He was sitting there in this God-provided amphitheater. Everybody was going to hear the words that he said, and most of them were going to understand the story. Again, they've lived this story. But it's a difference between hearing the words and actually receiving them. Truly understanding the deeper meaning. That's what we talked about last week. The reality that it's only by God's Spirit that you can truly hear, that you can truly understand. It's for the insiders. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Truly, many are called, but few are chosen. Many heard this story, but very few were going to walk away understanding. And so he tells them here, he who has ears, let him hear. And then as he's alone with them, after he's explained to them the purpose for the parables, in verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So right here in this, the very beginning stages of his, his parable preaching process, what we see is as he calls them away, he says, this parable is fundamental. If you can't understand this parable, you're not going to understand all the rest. This is key to understanding my Father's kingdom. This is key to understanding your mission. This is key to understanding the things that are going to happen as I ascend to the Father and you're left here to carry out this work. If you can't understand this, you will not grasp my Father's kingdom. I need you to listen. I need you to hear. I need you to understand. I think he's saying the same thing to us today. That our understanding of this parable is going to be key to all the weeks to come as we continue to walk through these parables. As we continue today as kingdom people living in the kingdom world waiting for the king to come back going to be key our understanding of what he's telling us here verse 14 the sower sows the word matthew says the word of the kingdom luke says the word of god a seed is god's word that very same word with which he created the heavens and the earth when god speaks a word things that never were become things that were dead live when God speaks, he creates stars that are so powerful and so hot that if you get within a few million miles of them, they will melt your face off. And now that same word has come. In the flesh, he is here. And that same word is being given, and that's the seed that's being sown. And it doesn't look like much. It's a seed. Nobody's blown away by a seed. You step over seeds. You pop hands full of seeds in your mouth for a snack. For many, it was going to appear as nothing. And we hide in our, in our heart. We hold in our hands the powerful word of God. And for many, it seems as nothing. It will bounce off their heart. It will take no root. It will not be received. But this is the seed. This is what he's called them to sow. And the sower, the sower is anyone that spreads the seed. Anyone that spreads the words. Initially, it's Jesus. As Jesus is telling him the parable of the sower, he's sowing the seed. He's doing the thing that he's talking about while he's there presenting this parable to him. And ultimately, he's going to leave this with them. As he ascends to the Father, they too would become sowers, sharers of this word. And then we today, as we go out into the world, the workplace, the, the sporting events, our businesses, wherever it is that God calls us, we join him in this work of sowing, much like fishing for men. This is the work that he's called us to, to go out and to sow, because nobody else has the seed. Nobody else has the seed. So he's left us here to do the sowing. This is what makes this so fundamental. This parable is so fundamental to the rest of what's going to happen. The kingdom of God is broken through into earth. It's broken through, and yet he's going to leave these men here to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so many people, they're going to look at these royal ambassadors, these representatives of Christ, these sowers of incredible seed, and they're going to despise them, and they're going to reject them, and they're going to care nothing about the seed that is sown. They're going to kind of care nothing about the word. So he's preparing them that you need to understand this. You need to understand that this work that I'm calling you to, it will not be easy. It's going to sound a whole lot like this parable that I've just told you. Verse 15, and, the ones, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the seed is the word. The sower is anybody who is out sharing this word, has joined with Jesus in the process of sowing the word. And then the seed that is sown, some of it's going to fall along this beaten, sun-dried path. Matthew makes clear that this is the heart of men. 
So if the seed is the word, the sower is anyone sowing the word, anyone sharing the gospel, and the soil is the hearts of men. It's a heart that must be penetrated by this seed. So he's talking here, he's painting this picture of this path, this path that's had too much traffic. This is a man who's had much traffic through his heart. He has not placed boundaries around his heart. Idols, sin, self have just crossed through time after time after time to the point that they have become hardened like Pharaoh, like the Pharisees, like so many in this generation. There's nothing that's going to penetrate this heart. It's become like concrete in the sun. It's impenetrable. You see the seed, it's going to strike their ears. They're going to hear it, but it's just going to fall to the ground. Never can make any access into their heart. These people are perishing. To them, the gospel is completely veiled. And for these, Satan is happy. Satan is all too happy to snatch away the word. He's all too happy to scoop down and snatch it away, lest it do anything in their, in their lives. Eat it up, making certain that it never moves any further than from their head, never reaching into their heart. And you guys, you know that C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, is one of my all-time favorite books. I, I read it, I don't know, probably once a year. I enjoy it. It's a fictional work, but it talks about this picture in which we see demons and the way that they torment men, the way that they do the work of, of Satan, their father. And while it is fiction, I think it gives us a pretty good idea of some of the, some of the work. You can, you can imagine these conversations. And so we read as two demons muse together. They say this. It's funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. You see, Satan, he didn't have to plant evil desires in your heart. He just has to keep the word of God out. Make, sure, make certain that it never takes root. And so how does he do this? How does he do this? One of the ways is he hardens you to the sower. Dear friends, I've said this in passing before. But with time, I, I have come to recognize how depraved and how serious this threat is. There's a reason why time and time again throughout his letters we find the Apostle Paul defending his apostleship. Because if you can't attack the truth of the message, you just attack the messenger. Satan loves to get into the heads and hearts of deceived men and convince them to spread lies and distruths and and. and cause you to distrust so that you cannot hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ delivered because you either distrust or you hate the sower. Let me speak frankly. I have and I continue to witness in this church the work of Satan at times to convince you to dislike or distrust me so that you cannot hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as spoken from this platform. He will do it to the pastor that comes after me. He will do it to the pastor that comes after him. Dear friends, I am not perfect. You'll notice that there are no qualifications given for the sower here. You know who sowed in that day? Five-year-old boys. But Satan wants nothing more than to plug your ears and to blind your eyes so that you cannot hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because of the broken vessel that's been chosen to speak it to you. 
We must resist at every turn for our sakes, for the sake of our church, for the sake of the weak among us. But that's not the only way he does this. He can do it through distraction and inattention. If he can get you to show up in this place and just never fully engage, just never listen to the word that is spoken. If you're here, if you hear it up here, it's going through, you can probably recite back to your mom the three key points or whatever, the sermon. That's why I don't use bulletins, by the way. It's a cheater. But if you can just, he can just keep you from ever really engaging. You don't have to hate God. You don't have to hate the preacher. You just have to never engage and never give it any real thought. How does he do this? How about if he just keeps you up all Saturday night so you can't keep your eyes open in here? How about a cell phone going off in the middle of service? When I, when I got here this morning, the fire alarm was beeping, right? Just that, that, just that annoying little chirp. And I was so thankful. Some of the men, I don't even know who all handled it. I think Chuck first spots it down there. And they, they put a new battery in the thing to make it stop. You don't think Satan could have used that little chirping to make certain that you never fully engage with the gospel? The person in front of you scrolling through Facebook? The person that gets up and down and squirrels all around throughout worship? Satan loves these distractions because he can keep you hardened. He can keep you from ever receiving, ever hearing. It's like the word was never... Now, you hear it. Plenty of times the word is preached, but it's just bouncing off of you like concrete. And Satan is right there to snatch it up and to carry it away before it could ever take root. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They sprout quickly. You've seen these people. They hear the gospel, and it's fantastic. It's like they've been shot out of a cannon. They are serving. They are giving. They are worshiping. They are going. They are on fire for Jesus. And we even think about putting these people in positions of leadership at times because they have all the makings. What we've witnessed here, it looks like the real McCoy, but it's not. You can't tell it in the moment. That's what makes it so difficult. These people are completely sincere. This is not an evil person. This is not a person that doesn't truly find the gospel just a delightful thing. They hear it. They're excited about it. They're on fire for it. And yet there's no roots there. There's no depth there. Outwardly you see it, but again, it's fool's gold. But to the outsider, and even to themselves, as they look in the mirror, they think, I am on fire for Jesus. I'm a true disciple. Verse 17, but they have no root in themselves. But they endure for a while, and when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, we don't hear the enemy mentioned here, but you've got to know he's at work. He's in the hearts and the minds of these people whispering that the word is not worth the trouble that comes with it. So that when the weight of this world falls against you, I, I, I warn people when I have the opportunity, when, when God so sees fit to make have me in the room as he calls somebody to himself I warn him things aren't going to be easy in the next day in the next week in the next month in the next year your truck's going to break down you're going to lose your job a kid's going to get sick things are going to go sideways really quick because you need to understand that you were once a child of Satan and now you're a child of the living God you're now a part of undoing the work of Satan and he will not allow this he is going to attack you and it's not always especially not in this country it's not always big and, and, and bold persecution that you can even identify as persecution for the sake of the world. But then there's those doubts in our heart. Man, you know what? Things were a whole lot better before I was part of that church. Things were a whole lot better before I was trying to do, thing God, do things God's way. And now all of a sudden the weight of all of this comes against us. And it says here that they will endure for a while. How long's a while? It's different for everybody. It doesn't always come immediately. But we, it says here that these people, they will endure for a while, but because they have no deep roots. They're going to burn up in the end. 
and it's just as if they had never heard. They produce no more fruit than the ones who had had the seed snatched away by the evil one because of the persecution and the trials that they face. And you've seen this play out. Those families that were here, they were here, they were in a church, they were, they were active, they were serving, they were giving, they were loving, they were active, vibrant parts of this church, and then something bad happened. And look, they didn't, they didn't curse and scream and yell, there wasn't a fight, it wasn't ugly. You just looked up one day and went, man, I hadn't seen these people in a while, where do you think they went? Hope they found another church, you find out they haven't, that they're just at home. And again, they don't hate God, they don't hate the preacher, they don't hate the church. It's just the weight began too much for them. And it started slowly. You know, we just got a lot going on right now, and so we really just can't use Sunday to go down to church. You know what, things are really heavy right now, and I just don't know that I have a spirit that allows me to worship right now. And so I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to stay home for a bit. We've seen it play out. It's truly, truly heartbreaking. And we need to make no mistake, just because we happen to be the ones sitting in this room or watching online, we need to make no mistake that the day of persecution is coming. I firmly believe, with more and more each passing day, I firmly believe that true persecution is coming to the church within my lifetime. I'm 40. I think I'm going to live to be about 72. That's about the lifespan. So i got about 32 years. I believe within those 32 years that we're going to see true persecution come to the church if we continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We continue to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to feel and experience true and real persecution. And we need to heed the warning of Jesus Christ that says that he who endures to the end will be saved. It is only those that endure, and endurance only comes as a result of his work. We can't change the soil of our own heart. As we look to ourselves and we see the, the bedrock underneath and we see the roots that are not sprawling out, there's only one appropriate response, and it's to cry out and say, God, only you can change my heart. Would you drop some dynamite in there and really wreck shop? Would you soften some things up? Because I want to endure. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to find myself burn up in the end because I have no roots, because I have no depth of soil. But I don't know. I can be deceived. So if there's something there, would you blow it up? Would you demolish it? Do you know how you tenderize meat? There, there's a thing. I don't know why it just came to my head. There's a commercial on the radio for this dad box or something, and they send you these boxes for dads. It is Father's Day, by the way. Happy Father's Day. They send you these boxes for dads, and, and I guess to make them cool, they, uh, they come with a crowbar, so you've got to bust open the box. That makes you feel manly, having to have a crowbar to bust open the box. And then, but one of the gifts that they said comes in the box is um, brass knuckle meat tenderizers. <laughs> I mean, that makes you feel like a man, right? You put on a brass knuckle, you just beat the tar out of your steak before you throw it on the grill. Softening stuff up, you, you beat it. And for some of us, we need to ask God to, to beat on us a little bit. We become a bit hard, resistant. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enters in and chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's the measure, is the fruitfulness, not the height of the stalk. We lived in a house in Lake Shadows one time back, and we, we, were, we were broke, didn't have money for landscaping. I had this one weed that grew up in my yard, but it had a really thick stalk, and I thought that could pass for landscaping, and I let that sucker go. 
produce no fruit. You've heard the expression, all hat, no cattle? Fake cowboys? Some of us are all stock, no fruit. It's unfruitful. It may take a while to develop some roots, and they, they grow up high and tall and good. But the reality is that the nutrients and the things that were needed to actually produce fruit, it was sucked up by all the other stuff. All the other stuff in this world. Not necessarily bad stuff in and of itself. You see, just as the enemy has convinced the, the second type of soil, just as the enemy had convinced him that the word was not worth the trouble that comes with it, in this instance, he convinced him that the word is not worth the things you've got to give up for it. He doesn't cause you to look at the persecution that's coming. He causes you to wonder what's behind door number two. Because these things grow naturally, just like weeds. It's natural. Money, pride, relationship. Not bad things, and they're natural to us. To the soil of our heart, they're natural, and they just spring up. But they're eating up all the resources that are meant to go to grow something that's real. That's why John warns us not to be in love with the world or the things of the world. Because it becomes natural to us to love the things of the world. Nobody has to train you to love a good steak and ice cream. Nobody has to train a little boy to like a pretty little girl. Nobody has to train you to enjoy more money rather than less money. These things come natural to our heart. You see, it's the word that's a foreign object. It's the seed. That's the thing that doesn't come natural to our heart. That's the thing which must be planted from someone on the outside. So that when you plant that thing there, all of a sudden, what happens whenever there's something inside your body that doesn't belong? Your body attacks it. You plant a seed in a flower bed where it hadn't once been? Same these thorny weeds that they're gathering around and they're attacking it. They're not just using up the resources. They're attacking it. And just as with real weeds, they can look pretty. They can blend in. They can attach themselves to the things which belong. How many things have we allowed to attach themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ? To look like the gospel of Jesus Christ? We are so ingrained with the true seed, the true gospel, that we can't even tell them apart any longer. And we allow ourselves to get in a place where to untangle the things that aren't the gospel, it's going to hurt. It's going to leave some scars on your hands. And so we sit back and we look at this bush. The purpose for the flower bed, here's the good seed. It's a flower. It's a, it's a rose bush. And there's a weed in there. And we look at it and we go, is it really worth the pain to get rid of the weeds? But that's, that's the picture of this heart. And again, just as with the rocky soil, we can't change it. It's only when we can look to Christ above and say, I've been crucified with him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you come to trust and believe. Then each and every day, by the working and the power of the Holy Spirit, as you deny yourself and you take up your cross daily. I die every day, I die every day, I die every day, asking God, get rid of what doesn't belong. Get rid of what doesn't belong. Because there's going to be times when I'm going to be flinching too much to get in there and do what has to be done. And you cry out to him, would you fix this? Would you soften my heart? Would you get rid of the weeds? Would you get rid of anything that doesn't belong, knowing that it's going to hurt? So again, this is a terrible story. How can the kingdom possibly have any success if this is what this looks like? What good is it for the kingdom of God to come into earth if it's going to fall on hard soil and get eaten up by the birds, if it's going to fall on rocky soil, it's going to fall on thorny soil? What hope could the kingdom of God possibly have? And what was the sower thinking? If the seed was so valuable, why was he just throwing it everywhere? Why wasn't he just looking for the good soil? 
Why didn't he test the soil? Why didn't he run this little test batch over here? Why is he just throwing the seed all over the place and now he's completely wasted it? But you see, the sower is trusting. There's some good soil there. So he's going to go to every last corner of that field and he's going to sow. Every last corner, every last row, every last inch he is going to cover with seed, trusting because he knows the power of the seed. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. If it could just find some good soil, even the tiniest of patches, the work that God would do with that soil, with, with, that, with that good soil and planted with that seed is tremendous, worth every bit of the effort. Worth every bit of the effort, every bit of the time, every bit of the seed that was spilled along, seed that was spilled along the way. You can just find some of this good soil. And again, I tell you, you notice there's no qualifications for this sower. My, my girls and I were, were talking through this parable last night, and I asked them, what kind of people do you think went out and did the sowing of the seed? What, what, what does it take? Nothing. I'm looking around this room. There's literally not a person in this room that could not go out and sow the seed, no matter the age. As long as you don't leave the seed in your pouch, and you make sure it's the real seed that you're sowing. You see, we look around today, and there's people that say, well, you know, I've come up with this hybrid seed. It's a synthetic seed. Because the soils of today, they've changed. It's not like soil back then. I've come up with some new, better seed. It's going to be more productive. It's really going to reach the lost. And then what you find is there's a bunch of dudes out there claiming the name of Jesus Christ, and they're sowing jelly beans. They're sweet. They're colorful. They don't grow squat. So as long as we're sowing the true seed, the straightforward word of God, trusting there's going to be some good soil out there, verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The key, the key is bearing fruit, not just uh, sprouting up, that bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. There it is. The soil that he's prepared in advance. Only God can do it. He's prepared this soil in advance. It's been aerated. All the thorns and the weeds have been gotten rid of. The rocks have been take, taken out. It's the good soil prepared by God. And we don't know it when we see it. It all looks the same to us. And so we're just out there and we're just sowing. Trusting that God has some good soil out there for us. So that when this seed hits the heart, you will see fruit born. True fruit will begin to, begin to produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This isn't just the first time that they received the gospel, may I remind you. It's each time the word is sown. New fruit, new seed, continual, time after time after time. Remember now, the thorny soil, it used to look good. The rocky soil, it used to look good. It's each time the seed is planted, it continues to produce, it continues to grow. And the power of God, because he's made sure that it endures as good soil all the way to the end. This is the story of Psalm 119. This is the heart of a man that desperately wants to be and remain that good soil that produces good fruit, that holds fast to the word of God. Because here's the thing. While all this work is of God, the seed is God's, the sower is God's, the soil is prepared by God, it's all the work of God, somehow an incredible mystery that we'll never understand. In his sovereignty, he chooses to do his work in and through men. And so when we read Psalm 119, what we see here is an intentionality, a purposefulness in doing this. 
Well, you'll notice next week as Kyle comes and brings the word to you that, that we're called there to be careful how we live. Be careful, excuse me, how we listen. Be careful how we hear. It's a call on us. He doesn't do this completely absent and disconnected from us. He warns us in his word to love his word. Those that love his word are going to heed the warning and love his word. You see? And so I want you to notice the intentionality here of a heart that desperately wants to maintain the good soil. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is the picture for you? It's to continue to hide that word in your heart, to meditate on that word, to live under the authority of that word, to determine in your heart today when you come to the word and the word doesn't make sense, the word's not broken, you are. To align your life with the word of God and trust that it is always true and always right and always good and that when it finds a heart of good soil, it will produce more than you could ever imagine. This is the parable of the soils, that the kingdom of God is broken through. And the word of that kingdom is like seed being sown along the way, and that many, most, will not receive it. It will fall on their, on their hearts, bounce to the ground, and be snatched up by the evil one. Some will receive it with great gladness, and yet in the end, when persecution and trials come, they'll burn up and they'll go away. And some, they'll simply be too in love with the things of this world, and they will never produce any fruit. But there is some. There are some which God is destined from all eternity that when that seed strikes the soil of their heart, it's going to produce good fruit, tons of fruit to the glory of God. That's the parable. That's the parable of the, parable of the soils. So, dear friends, if you hear this parable this morning, and your immediate thought is that you're the good soil. Take heed. Lest you become like the Pharisees that stand there in the temple and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other soils. Thank you that you have made me so good and so fruitful. Thank you that you didn't make me like this other dude that burned out when things got hard. Thank you that you didn't make me like this other dude that won't receive your word. Thank you that you didn't make me like this other guy that can't get rid of his bass boat, and so he's so in love with that he's not going to be in this place. We need to be careful. We need to truly examine ourselves, asking God to reveal any of those dark corners of our heart. But for those of you that have joined with Jesus Christ in the work of sowing the seed, take heart. I know there's going to be just days of just tremendous frustration, dry periods, when you start to wonder, am I the world's worst sower? Or am I throwing the wrong seed? He's promised that his word will not come back void. Listen to the words of Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. The power is not in you. The power is in the word. The work is in the soil. Our job is just to throw it consistently, unceasingly, 
and then marveling at the fruit that he produces as a result of it. Father God, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you have seen fit to include us in this glorious work of sowing the seed of your word. Father God, we confess that there have been more than a few times, I I can't confess for these people, I confess for myself, there have been more than a few times when I was a whole lot more like a sniper than I was a sower. I was saving my seed for what I determined to be the good stuff. I, I tested the soil first, and that's not what you've called us to do, Father. You've called us to trust you with the process, to trust you with the hearts, just to be busy sowing that seed. Father, if there's any here this morning, any joining with us online, and the seed of your word has not truly penetrated their heart, they've heard it. They've heard it, but it's just bounced off their heart because they've been so hardened by all the traffic that they've allowed to traipse through over the years. Father, I pray that you would just drop some dynamite in, blow their heart to pieces, allow them to receive and hear and be changed by this word. Father, if there's those of us here this morning and we are that rocky soil, you said for a while, endure for a while. Is it possible that I stand here this morning as one that's endured for what, 20 years? But when the persecution comes, I fall away. If that's me, Father, if that's us, I pray that you would reveal that. That you would soften us. Father God, if there's things in this world which we've allowed to take hold, thorny weeds that are growing up and they're eating up the resources that should be given to you and to the production of fruit, and Father God, I pray that you would just prune, pluck, pick. Make it right, Father. Father, we know that a heart that has been penetrated by your word is a heart of worship. So as we lift up these songs of worship now, may they be driven by your word. We cannot plant the true seed of your word and then grow anything else. So may the words of worship we sing now be true, and may they be pleasing to your ears. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.